John chapter 8. The Gospel of John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. This is our ninth message on living liberated. That's the title, living liberated. Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Disciples of Jesus will be free. He said, if you know the truth, the truth will make you free. It's also true that for those who have been made free, that you have to maintain that freedom. You can't just read that you were free and walk on through life as though, well, nothing can bother me again. Because the Bible describes in many different ways how you have to be cautious and circumspect and sober and be watchful and pray. And that the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he can devour. And we're told that you can give place again to the devil. It happens all the time. People are untaught. My people are destroyed, the Bible says, because of ignorance. God didn't save us to be destroyed. But if we're not going to be interested in finding out what and how he wants us to live, then the devil will take advantage of our ignorance because he encourages ignorance. He encourages you to tell that you don't need to learn anything more, that church is not a school. You know, you're all right. Don't worry about it. And people go back into bondage so easy. As he said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, he says that people are taken captive by the devil at his will. He's talking to the church who are taken captive by the devil at his will. So he does go about like a roaring lion. He does lurk in the darkness, and he does seek to devour us. That's why we're given weapons of warfare, because we are in a warfare. We are to fight the good fight of faith. And if we don't, then we'll lose. Not our salvation, but you're going to lose the abundant life. Didn't Jesus say he came to give you the abundant life? A life full and rich and free and joy and peace. You don't have to have a lot of money to have that. Some people have a lot of money and will never have peace and joy and freedom. But just the fact that you're loose from all the things that used to hold you back and make you worry and fret, things that made you afraid, things that made you so uncertain and so unsure and you could never get free from it. Jesus sets you free from all of that. The Bible tells you how to walk in the freedom that you have. Now, we've covered these certain things so far. If you want to maintain your freedom, you have to guard your mind because that's where the devil starts, with your mind. That's how he deceived Eve in the very beginning with the very first sin. He puts thoughts in your mind. He gives you things to think about that if you think about those things, just like in John 13, the devil put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. It was just a thought, an idea, something to do. And he dwelt on it. And in John 13, it says, and the devil entered into Judas. The devil himself entered into Judas. But he began with the thought to distract your minds from what is right and what is true. To make you think you don't really need all of that. You've got enough. You're okay. And you begin to take for granted all the things that you hear. And one day you turn around and you look at your life. If you do, you look in that mirror 
and you see that you really haven't grown, you're really not free, you fret all the time, you're miserable, people don't like to be around you, you can't control yourself, and you're really not free at all. But you can be and you should be free, and that's why we're talking about this. The second thing we talked about is you've got to guard your mouth. For by your words you're snared. Your words are death and life. Jesus said so. Out of the abundance of the heart, where you hide the word. If the words that come out of your mouth are not the words that God wants, you're by your words, he said in Matthew 12, you're condemned. Or by your words, you're justified. It's by what you say. So somebody's listening to your conversation. You may not see them, but they're there. They're paying attention to it. And the third thing we said is you have to guard your faith. The most precious thing you have from God is faith because it's the one thing, the one single thing that God said puts into action all of his promises. All of his promises are activated by faith. I know that people have been in need in their life and they read about a promise in the Bible and say, well, I go to church. Here's a promise. He said he would heal me, but I'm not being healed or delivered or blessed or the money had not come. Something. And it comes as sort of a shock or a difficult thing to understand when you say, you have to believe that. They think that by reading it, you believe it. But people read a lot of things in the Bible they never believe. I think people that teach a lot don't really believe it. I think churches are full of people that read things and confess they believe it, but in life and actions, by the way they live, they don't believe it. It's not God they call upon when things go wrong. It's the doctor. It's not the Lord they call upon when they feel bad. They call somebody else to talk to them. They want to share their burdens with other people. They kind of leave God out of the equation except for Sunday morning and an acknowledging of the head that, amen, that's true. But your faith is a product of the Word of God. Faith cometh by hearing, but specifically hearing by the Word. And one thing the devil works overtime on is to make you forget the Word or to not really trust in it. And if you don't trust the Word, then it doesn't work for you. If you don't mix faith with the Word, the Bible says, the promises of God won't come to pass. James chapter 1 said, if you ask God, you have to ask without doubting. For if you doubt, after you ask, you're like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And he said these words, let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the Lord. God holds us to faith, to walk by faith, to live by faith, to count on God to do what he said, which is what faith is. I'm counting on you to do for me what you said. I don't need to keep asking to do it. I'm counting on you to do it. And that's what you have to guard. One of the reasons we're here is so that you can be encouraged in your faith and that faith can be increased. The last two weeks, we talked about you have to guard who your companions are. Friends can talk you out of your faith. People you choose to hang out with, hang around with, or people in your little circles, your little MySpace. My, what's that called? My, your space? MySpace. MySpace. How many people are you allowed in your space to give you information and talk to you and encourage you or make you laugh? How much influence do other people outside of the Lord have in your life? I mean, how many people do you derive great pleasure from just being around and you like to run around with them because they're entertaining or something? But with those same people, you can't tell them what you believe because they wouldn't run around with you if you did. They've already defeated you. They've already 
held you back from your testimony. You're not a witness to them because they think you're like them. If you talk to them about the Lord, they might think you're not sincere. Now, that brings us this morning to the last one of these in this series I want to talk about. But it, by no means can I cover the whole subject. I'll do it best I can. But there is so much more on this subject. If we did them all, deliverance, for example. If you want to live liberated, you need to be delivered. Make sure you are delivered from everything in your past. I mean, you're forgiven, of course, but are you delivered from the effects and the hold of it? That's a whole study. If we kept going, we would be here till a long time. Well, this is one of those subjects that just keeps going. But these are the major things I want to talk about today. Is one of the most important. And yet it's one of the more lacking in most charismatics' life. And that is, if you want to stay liberated, you have to worship and praise the Lord. Worship and praise. Now, by worship, we mean to show reverence. Worship is a word which means to ascribe worth to one you esteem as worthy. You show devotion, gratitude, and thanksgiving as some kind of expression, whether it's your words that you speak, whether it's the holding up of the hands in adoration or surrendering to God. There are many forms of worship, bowing the head, clapping the hands, shouting, dancing. There's all kinds of ways the Bible describes people who worshiped God and who do worship God. And a person who worships God is one who has great respect, devotion, and admiration for God and displays that in some way. We get a chance to do it when we come together like this. In fact, we just had a chance to do that. And a number of people did. I don't think everybody did, though I don't look around to see who is and who isn't. We had a chance. We have a chance twice a week to corporately worship and praise God together. That doesn't mean we will. It doesn't mean that we did, but it means that we can. The opportunity is given to us. And if we don't worship and we don't praise the Lord, I don't think you're free. I don't think anyone is free who does not worship. I don't think anybody is free who does not worship and praise the Lord. I can remember, to go back to my background, in the church that I grew up in, like probably most of you, the church I grew up in was a very proper church, very organized. Everything was in order. They gave us the bulletin at the door, the order of worship with announcements and so forth telling us what was going to happen in the service, what song we would sing, and usually the title of the minister's sermon. And we were basically taught to sit there and follow the script. Now, we did it with a nice, kind heart. We did it with a measure of dignity, and therefore it, we weren't ugly before the Lord. But we were trained in that system of man, because that isn't the way God brought us together. But we came together as somebody had devised this way, and we learned how to sit in a certain seat in a certain way, expecting what was going to happen will happen as it usually does. And that we just go along with that and we're not to interfere with it. Our worship was basically a hymnal, which was in the back of the pew and in front of us. And we got our hymnal out and 
we learned those hymns through the years. I did. I learned a lot of those songs. Some of them are marvelous hymns. Great is thy faithfulness is one of the greatest of all. A mighty fortress is our God. Whoever wrote that was in tune. But when we sang those songs, it wasn't like we sang it as worship. It wasn't like we were singing to God. It wasn't like, I want to adore you with these words, Lord. It was more or less first, second, and fourth. We never sang the third verse. Saying first, second, and fourth stanza. And we sang it with each other as a part of that service we were in. This is what we are required to do as people with dignity. And we did that, and we sat down, and we were quiet. You know, the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth be quiet and be still before Him. That was a major verse. And so we were taught to sit there and be very, very still. And if we sang first, second, fourth stanza of a number of hymns, we called it a Sunday morning worship. And then one day you got filled with the Holy Ghost. It was like putting a hopped-up V8 motor in an old four-cylinder or something or another, and when you hit that throttle, man, this thing is going, oh, wow. And a little voice says, you better hold on. And we wound up one night at a, for me, at a full gospel businessmen's fellowship. And they whooped and hollered. And they clapped their hands and they couldn't stop smiling. They did it with their eyes shut half the time. And they were so excited. They were just going and doing all of that. Then we went to one of those Pentecostal churches. I'd never been in one. I remember the first time I went to one, I was really on edge. And I told the preacher, let's wait till the church service starts and then let's go in late and sit in the back. That way, as soon as it's over, we can get out of here. Well, I didn't know they didn't exactly start on time. So we got there when it should have started, and it was half full. People were milling around, talking, hey, how you doing? Praise the Lord, brother. Hugging each other. That wasn't on the bulletin in the church I grew up in. You didn't mill around and hug and greet people and talk. You came into the sanctuary quiet and sit down and be still and let somebody do everything for you. Well, somebody greeted us and took us up halfway to the front. And all I could think of being a basketball coach, I remember thinking this, you know, I'm fired. <laughs> I'm fired. If somebody knows I came over here to Louisville, Kentucky, to this Pentecostal church, I am fired. And they started singing. They didn't give us a bulletin when we came in. The preacher just walked out front, greeted a few people, and stood up and said, let's all stand and praise the Lord. I thought, what song? They just stood up and started hollering. Whoa, hallelujah, whoa! I never heard that. And if you were like I, and you never heard that, that's unsettling. I did not like that. And they would sing these songs and look at each other. They didn't have a book. They'd just sing these songs and look at each other and just laugh. And, and they would raise their hand and do this. I'd never seen that. I was very, very uncomfortable with all of that. I can't say that I liked that. I didn't like all the shouting. Uh, nobody ran. Praise God, nobody got up out of their seat and got all excited and ran. It was really God's way of introducing me into what was going to happen to me. I would have bet all the money I could ever think of that it would never happen to me like that. Not me. Mm -mm -mm -mm. But you know what? I couldn't help when I got home later on that evening just thinking about the joy those people had. 
I never saw that before. I never in my life saw a church that seemed to be full of joyful people. The expression on their face in the church house was different than anything I'd ever seen. When's the last time I saw somebody raise their hand in loving gratitude to God? I'm so glad to be here. I mean, politicians do it all the time. Don't they? Or some athlete scores a touchdown. What's it? He raises his hand. I don't know. He's not waving at anybody. He just say, look at me. Or look at here. But in church, praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then they wouldn't just raise their hand. They would tell him. They would talk out loud. During the service, they would verbally speak. That's right. Praise the Lord. That's good. Amen. I thought, I have never heard that. I've heard of it. But I have never heard things like that in my life. And then, of course, as it would happen, one of the people in the service that night spoke in tongues. And the preacher, who was a visitor, said, Now, before I give the interpretation of what was just said by this young man, this is for one of you or a few of you that are here tonight. And I thought, somebody told this man we were coming. <laughs> Don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He's not here to end things like that. And I knew in my heart, yes. Put me down. Sign me up. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but sign me up. And then go back to your church, your dead church the following Sunday. And you sit there all rigid and quiet and afraid somebody's going to clear their throat at the wrong time or the whatever. And we're so scared we're going to do something different. I didn't see anybody laughing or smiling or joyful. I see them look at their watch. They didn't want to stay in there long. They didn't really like this atmosphere anyway. That's why when preachers preach a lot of people, they look at their wife. They don't want to stay in here anymore. They want to go. And you know that's true. They want out. That's enough. I've been here long enough. Let me out of here. Do you think they worship God? I know we're not anybody's judge. You say, well, they may worship with God in their heart. Well, if they worship God in their heart, we're going to know it because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. But worship and praise unto God as the Bible describes it, like dancing. You know, I don't mean, you know, I don't mean that. I mean just people out here like David danced before the Lord. His wife thought he was dancing before the maidens, but he said, I'm dancing before the Lord. If you thought that was something, wait till next time I do it. It's God I want to glorify. It's God I am grateful to. It's God I want to praise. It's God I'm indebted to. It is God that I worship. And I know people don't like that, but he did it anyway because he wasn't there to please man. He was there to please God. You know, Psalm 115 verse 17 says, The dead praise not the Lord. The dead praise not the Lord. Because when you start reading the Bible about praise, you'll find that salvation is linked to the Bible. Salvation has a song. Psalms 40, you know, he got me out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, established my goings. And what else did he do? He put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto God. Who put the song in the mouth? He lifted me up out of the miry clay, set my feet upon a rock, established my goings. He did this because I couldn't. He put a new song in my mouth. 
Not some old dead song. He put a new song in my mouth. Even praise unto God. Where did the song come from? Where did it come from? It came from God. Then if we have a song, then we must sing it. As we'll get to later on in Hebrews 2.12, the Bible says Jesus will sing in the church. You're not going to hear a voice. He'll sing in you because you're His habitation. He lives in you. He prompts you. And you will either fold your arms and say, I don't know about that, or you will. Because if you're free, you know you're free. If you've experienced a free life and the liberty that God gives to a man, one of the easy and most desired things you'll do is to worship and praise God. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Where'd you get it? It came from God. He put a new song in my mouth. When there was a revival in Acts chapter 8, the Bible said there was much joy in that city. They were saved. They were joyful. How do joyful people act? Have you ever been to a ball game and saw what the winning team does? They're quite excited. I've seen coaches carried off the field. I was carried around a gymnasium one time in the game I won, and they put me on their shoulders and carried me around the gym. Why? Because they were excited. We won. We've got the victory. They smiled. They just had their hands up, and everybody is. Do they clap at ball games? And then they go to church. <laughs> they go to church like there is something wrong with the expression of joy unto the Lord. They do. But I can understand why a lot of people would. Either they're not saved or they're bound. And if you're bound, you don't feel comfortable doing that. You don't know that you will do that right. And what if the person you're with, whom you've been sinning with all week, sees you doing that? They'll know that you're, what are you doing that for? I know how you live. So we're bound by our companions and we are suppressed in our worship. Now that shouldn't be. Because God wants his people to be free. What did David say when Nathan the prophet said, Thou art the man, and he opened him up to the fact that we know what happened to you? David in Psalm 50, one of the things he said was, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, because to be saved is to enter into a joyful life, even when it's not going well for you. Like James 1 said, Count it all joy when you encounter divers' trials. It's something Christians do because Christians have a higher place to go to for help than the world down here has. We have God and His throne in heaven. He said, come boldly to the throne. Over 200 times in the Psalms it says, praise the Lord. 200 times God says, I want you all who say you love me, who say that you're safe. I want you to worship me. I want you to praise me. I heard last year at the Fujin camp that the praise was marvelous. That's all right. Say amen. Amen. But this year, don't leave it there. Bring it back with you. And kind of encourage the ones that have been around here for quite a while. Sort of encourage them to get with it. Let's worship God. Let's don't try to make a show. Let's just enjoy the moment. And let's just worship and praise the Lord. You know what there's going to be in heaven? There's going to be a song in heaven. 
You can be sure that even in the Old Testament at the tabernacle, David appointed singers unto the Lord who sang around the clock. They had singing 24 hours a day around the throne, 24 hours a day. There is music in heaven. There is singing and so forth in heaven. In fact, if you'll turn to Revelation 4, one of the very wonderful songs that we sing, one of the truly blessed songs that God has given us to sing. Revelation 4 and verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Don't we still sing that? Thou art worthy. Now, what does that mean? It means what it says. There's nothing difficult there. Oh, God, you are so worthy to be spoken to in glowing terms by grateful hearts. If the heart's not grateful, it's nothing more than rote or memorization. But when you get it from sincere people, spirit and truth, when you get it from people like that, the Lord desires that. He inhabits that kind of praise. It's like... He's in the presence of you because of your praise. And it's a marvelous thing for things like that to happen. But he said, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are created. Look in chapter 7 and verse 11 and 12. And all the angels round about the throne and about the elders... And the four beasts, and fell down before the throne on their faces and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. God has manifested Himself to us in these various ways, in His wisdom and His might and His strength and His power. He has shown Himself to us. And we acknowledge that. And worship is saying back to God what He has shown us that we're so appreciative of. You don't have to have a lot of fancy words in worship. I just want to thank you, God, for being good to me. He assigned goodness and mercy in one psalm. God Almighty assigned goodness and mercy to follow us all the days of our life. We should be thankful for that. Surely... Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Don't you think this morning, all of us, and having been saved a while back and having been taught about the attributes of God and what He does and how good He is to people that don't deserve it and how marvelous His ways are, having sustained us and kept us through our life from harm and injury and loss. Don't you think that it is our responsibility to, with words, tell Him we appreciate Him? Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for all the people you spared from injury and harm just this week. Thank you, Lord. He deserves that. We should give Him that. Not just when we're alone, but when we come together, or not just when we come together. We should do it when we're alone. You see, God inhabits praise, Psalm 16. God inhabits praise. 
When God is in the presence of people, you'll find praise is there also. There's within my heart a melody. And then whatever the rest of Jesus whispers sweet and low. But people have written songs about praise and worship. We sing so many of these psalms. These are spiritual songs. We're told in the New Testament to make melody in our hearts to the Lord. You can make up your own just as long as it comes from a sincere heart and it's how you feel about God. You don't deserve what you're getting. If He had left you alone, you'd be in a hole somewhere six feet deep or drunk or in a miserable marriage. But God, because He brought you to Him and gave you answers to the equations and gave you solutions, Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Because I can look back like you can at my miserable life many years ago. And why on that hot June day, he pulled my wife and I up out of those seats and brought us to him. I do not know, but we've never looked back. And one of the very early things in my life he taught us to do was to worship and praise God. And I know that has contributed to staying put. I don't know if there's ever been a year in our life we haven't involved ourselves in various forms of worship and praise. In other words, we've never let it go and just gone back. Because one of the first things that happens when you start backsliding, the first thing you do is you quit praising God. When you start backing up, you or anybody else, when you start backing up, backing off, or don't get fully engaged, the evidence of it is that you don't praise, you don't worship. You can say, well, I used to do that. Well, why don't you do it now? There's a bondage that can come on people. Maybe it's through associations. Maybe it's through your attachment to the world. Who knows why we are held back or draw back? The Bible warns us against that. Folks, I'd rather you all be excited and shout and holler and embarrass every visitor that comes here than to see you grow old with your arms folded and not have that new song. Because if we don't have that, then what worship does God get from us? Preaching the pure word? Well, it's the response to it that's where the worship comes in. It's the response. It's the appreciation that... A thankful heart gives back to God. And we should be able to do that every day of our lives. Let me give you a few facts about praise and worship. Now, we're talking about liberation. So, number one fact has to do with praise and warfare. Warfare. How many of you know that praise can be a weapon? Praise can have a weapon-type nature to it. Listen to these words. James chapter 1, count it all joy. When? When you encounter difficulties, various trials and testings. Knowing this, that God is doing a deeper work in your life that's going to mature you. That's what He's doing. It takes the test to bring you through. Not everybody will go through the fire and through the water, and they never grow. They eventually fold their hands and sit back or leave and go somewhere else. 
But there are those who stay with it. And God brings them through and begins to refine them. That's what the refiner's fire is in Malachi. And he begins to do a deeper work in them. But he said, count it all joy. When you're going through a trial, that's not a time to see how many people you can get to lament with you. Mabel, I'm going through the worst time I've ever been in my life. Will you cry with me? Say, I will, honey. <laughs> that's not what God has taught us. Well, you're making fun of their pain. No, no. What I am doing is telling that that's not the way God taught us to deal with our trials. I cast all my cares upon Jesus, casting all your care upon him. Why? For he careth for you. For he careth for you. Listen to this, First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. Think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you, as though something strange has happened to you. Next verse. But rejoice. Rejoice in as much as you're a partaker of Christ's sufferings. You wouldn't be in this situation if you had not been faithful to God. But you chose to walk God's way and you're being persecuted and hammered for it. And you're not willing to get out of it. So he says, count it all joy. Rejoice. Or if you could receive it, leap for joy. Jump up and down like they do at the ball game. Woo! I know people don't do that often, but it can be done. One night, one of my children, a hundred years ago, was going through a difficulty. For me at the time, early in my Christian life, it was quite a battle or a struggle. And I'd do well, and then I wouldn't do well, and I'd do well, and I wouldn't do well. And then I asked the Lord, you know, Lord, what more can I do? And he said, count it all joy. And I say, he said, that's what I sense he said, count it all joy. So I started dancing. This joy, his joy, grows and grows. I started dancing like that around the house. I'm glad nobody could see me. They would have called the wardens and the, the white cars, the blue lights. They'd all been there. But the child was healed. The difficulty went away. And I don't know if it ever came back. I don't know if they've ever had that problem ever again. I don't know that they have. See, you resist the devil. And he'll flee from you. But part of your resisting is worship and praise. And in the same book of First Peter, chapter 1 and verse 6, talking about our change and our growth and our living the way he wants to live, he says, wherein you rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold trials. But he said, in those you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice. You don't get down in the dumps and start whining around to your friends or call the prayer line. The first thing you do is turn to God. You acknowledge God. Praise, honor, and worship. You don't say, my name is Jimmy, 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 Jimmy. You turn to Him like Jesus taught us. For our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come. It's all about Him first. Or it's like when Jehoshaphat prayed when a million people were coming to after him. I would assume it was that many. He went into the house of God. The first thing he did is to honor God with his words. He said, and now, after he had honored God, he said, and now this is what's happening. Well, God knew what was happening. But Jehoshaphat was pouring out his heart. Lord, we don't know what to do. 
but our eyes are upon you. And somebody prophesied, you don't need to fight in this battle. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. You know what Jehoshaphat did? They started dancing. The priest came out the next day in holy garments. They just rejoiced and praised the Lord. Woo! And the Bible calls the enemy to destroy itself. When a man's ways please the Lord, he maketh even his enemies to be at peace or to kill themselves. <laughs> One of the two. What did he say in Isaiah 61, the first sermon that Jesus ever preached? He said, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. What do you have for the heaviness that comes into your life? What does he give you for it? The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. But that's what he gives you. Now, let me ask you something. If he gives that, and that's grace, then why is it that when we go through a heaviness thing, why is it that people don't hear it? Why is it the words of our mouth betray us? That we complain about why me and I don't know why I have to go through this and it's been three weeks now and I don't know and why and blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't, I'm going to do that. Why do we hear that? That's not what God gave us to say. Are we listening to the Lord? I don't know. I, I hope you are. I trust that you are. Praise has a violent nature to it in warfare. For example, how about Paul and Silas in prison? Remember that? Acts 16? They were locked up for casting out devils. And while they were in that jail cell, old stinky, slimy, nasty place. No, I haven't been there. I'm just assuming it was. They didn't have potties in those places. They were dirty. They were filthy. Nobody wanted to go to the dungeons. It was horrible. And at the midnight hour, here came old Paul, you know, with those chains around him, you know, they helped the music part of it. ching a ling a ching thy loving kindness, ching a ching a ching is better than life, clink-a-clank-a-clang-clang, thy loving. <laughs> if I had been Silas, I would have probably thought, what are you doing? We're going to die. You're down here singing. Man, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to us, and you're singing? I'm sure if Silas could have seen Paul, he'd look over at his face and see that little glow, that joy on his face. Oh, victory in Jesus. Kind of caught on. Old Silas, he got into it himself. <laughs> Next thing you know, they got to singing, and I thank God in habits praise. He came down, the cells of the jail opened. They came out. I mean, they just came out. The apostles in the early church in Acts chapter 5. They were brought before the council and told not to speak in Jesus' name anymore. And Peter said, we must obey God. Well, don't you do it. So they put them in jail. The Lord brought them out. They brought them out, and then they saw them out in the street preaching in the temple. And they said, didn't we lock these guys up? What are they doing out here? I don't know. So they called them in again, beat them. The Bible says the apostles left that place rejoicing that they had been accounted worthy to suffer for the Lord. Hallelujah. They weren't saying, look how big my stripe is bigger than yours. Look, my bruise is bigger than... They didn't say that. They weren't boasting about that. That's carnal. Just the fact that we were doing something so right that the religious world hated it. They didn't want us talking that way. They didn't want to hear it. They didn't want anything to do with it. You see, I think the devil knows that when praise is given, 
when people begin to open their mouth and begin to praise God. Like Psalm 22 said, God inhabits praise. And He comes down and He begins to dwell amongst them. And when God is present, I don't know what the devil's going to do because Psalm 68 said, Let God arise and let His enemies be scattered. Because when He's present, like you said, His enemies have to scatter. Psalm 50 again, verse 23 said, Whoso offereth praise, glory, Buyeth me. What's the devil going to do with that? He has to get out of that. More than once in my life in dealing with deliverance, where it was a demonic situation in a person, you start singing songs about the blood, and these people would just start gnashing their teeth at us. Demons hate that. When you sing it in truth, now they don't mind you singing it out of a hymn book or just singing it because you're supposed to do it or repeating words that have no meaning to you. But he said that whoso offereth praise glorifies me. And listen to this. And to him that orders his conversation or his manner of life aright, I'll show him the salvation of God, which is going to increase his praise. Remember Psalm 511? Let all those that trust thee rejoice and be glad. It goes on to say, let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Would you turn to that verse for me? Just I want you to see that one. Psalms chapter 5 and verse 11. As a part of your warfare, in a dull, difficult, angry situation where there is heaviness, problems, wouldn't this be a better thing to do than to moan and groan and cry? Verse 11, Psalms 5. But let all those that... Put their trust in thee, rejoice. Let them on occasion shout for joy. Oh, excuse me. Let them ever shout for joy because, here's the reason, because you defend them. Let those that love your name be joyful in thee. Let me tell you something. There has got to be, there has got to be a way to tell if somebody is joyful. Just as there has got to be evidence if you're saved, there's got to be evidence that you're saved. How can you tell? Does that mean that old, sour, mean, ugly, acting, mumbling, groaning? Does it mean that that all begins to die and a new way of living comes in? You say, well, I'm not comfortable raising my hands or clapping. I wasn't either. I still remember it. I've told it before. We were building a new church building on our lot there in, in Charlestown. We were meeting in the fellowship hall. That's where our church was. I was on the right-hand side, down close to the front. And the preacher was preaching real good that morning. And I, amen. That's about as far as I got it. That's about as loud as I said it. Amen. And I thought the board was going to meet. Because we heard the talk about those who don't want to hear that stuff. We don't want to hear amen in here. We're not Baptist like they invented it. Well, my daddy was a Catholic. I know I never heard it there when I used to go to church with him. Now, I don't even know what they said. They were talking in tongues as far as I knew. I don't even know what they were talking about. Nobody was worshiping other than doing these kind of symbols and things. They had a pious look and pious things, but 
I didn't see anything coming out of a joyful heart. When church was over, nothing that happened there made them joyful. I don't know about here. I don't know if you're joyful after a meeting or you're just glad it's over so you can go back to doing what you want to do. But see, God knows. Your friends know or your parents know. We're all going to be known by something. Just like if we have joy, somebody's going to know it. There's got to be evidence. Somebody has to know it. If we've never started, say, well, I would like to do all of that. I just... Well, let's admit it. You're afraid you won't do it right. There's a fear of what other people will say about you. Like everybody this morning came to see what you're going to do. Everybody's watching Caleb this morning. Is he going to raise his hand or not? I don't know. You reckon he will? Everybody strain their neck up to turn the camera on and see what you can see. Anyway, we came here to see what he's going to do. Or anybody else. We came here this morning, among other things, to worship God together. To learn His way so that we can live His life and be Christians in our way of life. But if we can't praise the Lord, folks, we're not free. You're not free. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let them that love thy name be joyful. Joyful is a personal decision that you make. Just like faith... Anger, hate, or love. It's a choice. If you don't praise the Lord, you don't worship the Lord, it's because you don't want to. You may not admit that. You may not appreciate me saying that. But let's assume that we're going to deal with that and see whether or not it is true. There's been many times in your life, whoever I'm talking to, the Spirit of God has moved amongst you and you felt something really good. It was stirring. And you felt an encouragement to release from this thing and just go ahead and break this bondage. You couldn't do it. And you wanted to do it again and you just seemed like you couldn't do it. You went to a seminar somewhere where there was a whole lot of people making a whole lot of noise and you were able to do a little bit of this. But your heart said, let go, let go, let go. I don't mean to be a fanatic and go to shaking and slobbering around here. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about you with your personality, with your background, being what you never have been, a worshiper of God. It doesn't have to be something beside the ordinary. It might be, but it's just maybe it's just the fact that you've got your hands up and you're saying, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Or sing with your eyes shut or clapping your hands in church or making a noise. A noise. A joyful noise. Noise today is what you hear on the radio. That's noise. This new music today... Anything rocky or rock-centered or whether they call it Christian's music today has all this. That's not music. That is noise. I said, well, that's your opinion. It is. It is. It is. In my opinion, it's just noise. I have to turn it off because it aggravates my brain. That's why I have to put something on there that's got something I can understand what they're saying, that the voice is louder than the background. Something that I can listen to the words and begin to think about what they're saying and get prompted by the Spirit to move into that. Because you see, secondly this morning, not only is worship and praise an act of, of warfare, 
But secondly, it's your response to the Word. It's how you respond to the Word. Psalm 106 and verse 12 said, They believed His words, they sang His praise. They believed His words, and they sang His praise. Now, what if we did it like Nehemiah did it? What we said for the month of August... Every Sunday we're going to do as Nehemiah did in Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 3. Now you have to find that if you can. And it's on the left side. Nehemiah chapter 3. Before the Psalms, go back a little bit. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. Now, if the daylight was 12 hours, what's one-fourth of the day? Three hours. Okay, so for one-fourth of the day, they stood. Does it still say stood? They stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God, one-fourth part of the day, not a sermon, reading the Bible. Now, today, somebody say, well, I didn't come to hear somebody read. I know how to read. Well... You poor soul, listen to what they did. They assembled together with grateful hearts. God had brought this little bunch back from captivity. They stood together, and Ezra and Nehemiah, one of the scribes, stood up to read. And they read for three hours. Three hours. And then, and then your Bible says, and another fourth part of the day, they confessed. They gave thanks. They confessed. The word yada here can mean to glorify God with their hands up, showing worship. It said, and they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God for three hours. Now, they had a six-hour church. And all they did was read and worship. And then I guess they went home. And God was pleased with it. It's there for us to read. It's in your Bible for a reason. And we're supposed to let the Word of God dwell in us richly, to admonish us, to teach us, teach us how to worship and how to praise and all the little things that God does in our daily life that we should be thankful for and that that we should say to Him, we're thankful. Because you see, a third thing that is a part of your warfare and your liberation is how you approach God. I will enter... His gates with my stopwatch in my hand. No. I will enter His gates, Psalm 100 and verse 4, with thanksgiving. Thankful for what? What are you thankful for? Count your blessings. What are you thankful for? Are you thankful that you feel good? Are you thankful you're healthy? Are you thankful you're not in a funeral home this morning or the best hospital in America this morning? Are you thankful for that? Are you thankful that you probably have enough money today to buy a hamburger and put cheese on it? And if you don't, are you thankful that your brother or sister with you will help you? Wow. Are you thankful that your shoes fit? There are people in the world that don't have anything. They have nothing. Their toys are bottle caps, children. 
They have no place to go. They walk 10 miles to go to a meeting like this and will stay as long as you're here. Never complain about how long you preach. Don't even get up and go to the bathroom. They just want to hang on to every word that is spoken. Why? Because the word has worth. It has value. I need it. Teach me thy ways, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. Incline my heart to fear your name. I want everything that is necessary to live, to please you, operating in my life. And especially, Lord, I want to open my mouth and glorify you every day of my life. If we would do what Psalms 34.1 says every day, we would be free. We sang Psalm 34.1. You know what that song is? I will bless the Lord when? How about in your bedroom? How about in your kitchen? How about out in a yard or in the garage, in your car, at work, on the job site, walking down the street, swimming, hunting, fishing, making quilts? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let me ask you folks a question. Are you like that? All of you. Are you like that? Do you want to be like that in spirit and in truth? Do you really want to be like that? This is how we approach God. Another song we sing in Psalm 98, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Boom, boom. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Turn to Hebrews 13. Make a loud noise. Would that be right? To make a loud noise and sing praise? Well, listen to this one. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, where he says, By him, therefore, let us do something. Let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. Now, what's he talking about? He goes on to tell you what he's talking about. That is, the fruit of our lips. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. See, in the Old Testament, the sacrifice you gave, you didn't have to have any sincerity in it. It was your duty. You just took that sacrifice there. And you gave it, and then you looked at your watch. When's the Sabbath going to be over so we can get back to selling? Didn't have to have your heart in it like that. God noted many times. He said, you know, you honor me with your lips. Isaiah 29 said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. And he said at the very beginning of Isaiah, he said, no more of your sacrifice. It's not sacrifice I desire. Said, you folks think that by doing all of this you please me? Your heart's not even mine. Now you carry that over into the New Testament. He says, let us bring a sacrifice unto God. But not an animal. Not bulls and goats, something that we had to kill. But something that is living and alive within us. Words of thanksgiving and words of worship and words that acknowledge who you are and what power we have from you and what your name will do for us and what is promised to us and how we're going to be kept and fed and taken care of. Let us give thanks for that. Let's never forget that. Think of how many people this morning, again, I don't mean to be ugly, but I really don't. But I grew up in this. 
Think of how many good people, nice people, kind people, loving people, helpful people are sitting in churches this morning with their mouths shut, afraid to say anything, maybe feeling being stirred by the Lord who, and would love to say, praise God, but they can't because the system subdues that. The system makes no allowance for worship and praise. I'm not saying that's why I came out of it, but when I came out of it and began to meet with just like kindred spirits, we used to sing and carry on and praise God. I mean, we had a place called God's Garage. It was an old, smelly, stinky garbage in, and it smelled like diesel fuel. And we went there and cleaned and sprayed on that thing. And even when we had to come in there to worship sometime, it didn't matter. After a while, you get used to it. But we never got used to just praising God because it was always fresh. I found a tape one time of us singing in God's garage. And I can remember, I could shut my eyes and go back to how much you enjoyed that. Just enjoyed the singing. Didn't have to sing good. Somebody said, I can't sing a lick. Well, we know that, but it doesn't matter. It's a joyful noise, remember? So you qualify. It's a joyful noise. We're not here just to hear me preach. We're not here because we're just decent people, socially proper people. We're here because we have a need, not only to hear and to receive something from God for these being poor in spirit, but we also have a need to respond to God. You really do. God deserves better than he gets. He deserves better. He really does. That's the way we approach him. You owe it to him. The fourth thing, that worship and praise is a part of our testimony. In Psalms 137, it says that by the rivers of Babylon, we hung our harps in the willows thereof. And our tormentors, those who captured us and carried us away, they wanted us to sing one of the songs of Zion. The Jews were known for their singing. I've watched them sing one time at a conference and all you want to do is jump in with them. But I figured I'd get my kick wrong. I'd kick one of them, you know, in that song. But I, oh, man, I enjoyed that. They dance in the street. They dance anywhere, and they sing their song. They don't know Jesus, but they know what worship is. They worship what they understand about God, but they don't know him either. But it's in their nature. It's in their nature to do that. They are rejoicing and praising people. And by the rivers of Babylon, we hung our harps in the willows there. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And we said, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a strange land? Maybe Christians who have been brought out of darkness into light have drifted back into a strange land and you feel captive again. You're bound to somebody. You're bound to something. You're bound by something or you're afraid. Fear can bound you. But then it said in Psalm 126, when the Lord turned our captivity, we were like them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter. It's a good thing to laugh, not in the middle of a service. I don't buy that. But it's a good thing for you to have a merry heart. Because a merry heart, the Bible says, doeth good. 
It's contagious to be around happy people, joyful people, people who worship and praise the Lord, people who love Jesus and who love the honoring and the worshiping of Him. It's a good thing. You like to go there. And I don't know how many of you have gone back to the church you grew up in or back to the old home place for some reason and, and you were there, but I've had people come back and say, I'm so glad I'm here. It has nothing to do with being better than anybody. Let me tell you for real, sure, straight up front, we are better than nobody. I esteem others as better than myself. But I am grateful that God saved me. And I want to be grateful every day of my life in some way. If I can't wiggle, I want my mouth to wiggle. I want to say, Lord, praise God. Or confess to His Word and say, by your stripes I'm healed or something like that. The devil knows, folks, that he has to let go. The devil knows that a worshiping Christian has a power that he will lean on and that God will supply his need and deliver him. He knows that. That's why he wants you to feel like you don't know what you're doing or people are watching you or, or what if you do it wrong. All these reasons to suppress you. In the Christian church I grew up in, I knew what people would think about it. It seemed like a lot of those people had gone past the point of ever being able to go the way God wants. It was just they were so set in their ways. They wouldn't change and didn't want you to change. And finally the church split. One of us or them had to leave. Not because we are better than them, not because we're worse than them, but just simply because we can't worship God in such an atmosphere. They didn't like our atmosphere. We didn't like theirs. We parted ways. Praise isn't pleasing to everybody. But it's our testimony. We like that. But, folks, so many times the devil just binds you and keeps you from expressing praise. But you know something? When you were in high school, he never did it during the school song. Now, think about it. Your high school, I guess your high school had a song. They used to have stuff like that. But we will fight, fight, fight for CHS and be a victor over all. For it's the blue and white that we adore. And we love it best of all. Rah, 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 rah. We will boost our school up to the top. We will work and work and we have, Yeah, we sang that. And we clapped our hands. We had pep rally. You ever have a pep rally? Maybe we ought to have one. <laughs> Y'all hear about that church in Shelbyville? They had a pep rally. Why? Well, the people were just sitting there in the stands. They need a pep rally. We're engaged in a battle, and the last page says we win. Oh, we will fight, fight, fight for Jesus. <laughs> On our city's northern border. So reverent. The school, you know, about our alumni song. I remember. I know all of them. I haven't forgotten any of them. It's just amazing how we can be so restrained and restricted in church but we get out of here and we're free. Woo! They drive down the street in a convertible. The president walks out of a helicopter, waving at everybody. And you go to church, put your hand in your pocket, boy. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to show God physically like that, that we love Him. We're not supposed to clap our hands and shout. I have never found any place in the Bible where it says to run. But I've sure seen a lot of people do it. I did it once. It's just something about the song, something in my heart, like a stream running free. 
makes me feel so happy, as happy as can be. When I think of Jesus and what He's done for me, something in my heart like a stream running free. And I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. I'm so glad that Jesus set me free. Singing glory, hallelujah, Jesus set me free. Devil had me bound, but Jesus set me free. You ever sing that? You ever sing it like this? Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. Satan had me bound, but Jesus set me free. How would it sound, unless you think I'm overly fussed at that, how does that sound to God? Now, if the devil is suppressing that, then he's probably going like that. Yeah. I shut him down this week. Shut her down this week, too. They're shut down this week. What if you thought the devil was saying you sitting there and he said, I whipped you so bad you can't even open your mouth. You can't say thank you to God. Do you see what's going on in your life? Why things maybe aren't working well for you? Things aren't clicking? Are you an overcomer this morning? Are you overcoming? Are you rejoicing in the fact that you're a Christian and that you're going to heaven, that your names are written in heaven? Or are you just trying to hold fast or hold on to the end? I want you to open your Bibles and we'll go close with this. I want you to open John chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, and then we'll close. You've been fairly good this morning so far. John chapter 4, verse 23. There are so many verses of Scripture in the Bible about praise. We've used 1% of them this morning. The Bible is literally full of admonitions to worship and to praise. God inhabits praise. That's enough for me. But as I said a while ago about Psalms 34.1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I sure hope it is. And I hope He's hearing it. And I trust that He is pleased with such. Because here's what Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when true Worshippers. Now, you'll have to ask yourself whether or not you are. But if you are, here's what it says you will do. True worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is spirit. It says A here, but A is not in the original. God is spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. God seeketh such to worship Him, being prompted and led by the Holy Spirit, encouraged. Maybe events in your life this week run by you where God spared you or kept you or blessed you in some way, and He shows you a lot of things in, in your past. He blessed you with a good wife or a good family or a good job. And he begins to prompt you, and then you shut your eyes because you don't want to see what anybody else is doing and be distracted. Next thing you know, your hands go up. And you begin to give honest and sincere praise.
to God from your heart. That's called truth. There's no lie here. There's no fallacy here. There's no deception here. This is from my heart in honesty and sincerity. Or as the Bible says, an honest and sincere heart. And you begin to open your mouth and worship God. Now, God seeketh such to serve Him. Somebody will. For the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for those whose hearts are perfectly His, that He, God, may show Himself strong in their behalf. That's ours. Now, I trust that it's part of this whole package of experiencing the power, the might, the deliverance, whatever God gives, all comes with the idea that you're going to praise and worship Him for it, not because of it. Praise is not a means to an end. I'm not doing this to get something. Praise is what I do as an act of reverence to God, whether I get anything or not. If I died in a jail cell, broke, hurting all over, but going to heaven, I have a reason to worship and praise God. Not because I feel good or look good or smell good, but because I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded. Not everybody has that. I trust that you all do. I trust that you all do. Paul wrote, But this I confess unto thee, that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I the Lord God of my fathers, believing all things that were written in the law and the prophets. Let me close with this statement. Paul says, What people are calling heresy today, that's what I worship. Because that's what I believe. And because I believe... I worship. I don't worship to please my mom and dad or my wife or husband or kids, people in front of me, behind me, or around the world this morning. I do this from my heart as unto the Lord because I believe what for 40 years He has been telling me. And for the last 40-some years of my life, I've tried my best to live it right, to do it His way. I don't regret anything. Because God is good. How about you? Bow your head with me just a minute. Heavenly Father, we stand here today as recipients of your grace and your mercy. Your favor has prevailed upon us. You have brought us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You have put a new song in our mouth, O God. You've given us a reason to think about your goodness because we have experienced it. You've blessed us with so many things. You've opened our heart to learn so many things in your word. We have become enriched with your word. It prompts us. It delivers us. It sets us free. Now, there are a lot of people standing before me this morning, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name that not a single soul will leave this room without in some way being spoken to by your Spirit about their life. Maybe they need to be saved. Maybe they need to get somewhere and make their mind up that they're going to get loose from all this bondage. That they're going to begin a new way. And I ask you to honor them and bless them for it. May this word have a meaning to us this morning. May we not forget what you've said. May we be worshiping people, not just today, but every day of our life. Come quickly, Lord Jesus.
I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Oh God.